So settle back and enjoy another afternoon of snooker. What a shot. This is so special. Brilliant. Oh. Fantastic. And that'll put a little spring and a step. He's done it. I'm Stephen Fry and this is Snooker Club live from Alexandra Palace. Well, good evening, everybody. We are delighted to have your company. There'll be some great tales, some stories. Please warm the room with applause for one of your co-hosts. He is a comedian, he's a novelist, a lifelong snooker fan who has gone red, black, red, black. And he says that's his biggest break. Give it up for Mark Watson. And a man who is now as comfortable with a microphone in his hand as he is with a cue. He is an absolute legend on and off the table. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only King of the Crucible, Stephen Hendry. Thank you very much. Hello, good evening. I'm Mark Watson and welcome to a very special live edition of Snooker Club from Alexandra Palace. We've got a packed show for you this evening. I wouldn't be able to do it without the man sitting next to me, seven-time champion of the world, Stephen Henry. Hi everyone, thanks very much for coming out. It's going to be a great night. Yes, it certainly is going to be a great night. Broadcasting legend Stephen Fry is our special guest for the evening and we'll of course be previewing the Masters. We'll also be taking questions from our live audience uh, who look ready to go. So without further ado, welcome to Snooker Club live from Alexandra Palace. This will be quite good, I think. Which, I mean, I can't sell it any harder than that. And if nothing else, we hand over to this woman and she yells at Henry for a bit. So, um, I said if nothing else, though. Let's, uh, let's try and stick to plan A for the time being, yeah. I, I know you're from Glasgow, yes. I, um, I, I've been to Glasgow, there was never any doubt. I mean, you know this place pretty well, Stephen. Well, I actually didn't play here. Obviously, working for the BBC and, 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 and being here as a, a pundit and commentator. But um, it was Wembley in your day. Yeah, it was. It was the conference centre, um, which held incredibly two thousand seven hundred and fifty people. Um, I actually won it six times, five in a row. We know that, so, Stephen. So, okay, so sorry, sorry to bring it back to me. But the the only one that I'm famous for is the one that I lost in a black ball to Mark Williams. Yes, although, and I don't know how many people here remember this, but. One of my memories of you winning the Masters at Wembley was that match against Mike Hallett. Oh, yeah. Where you were unbelievably far behind. I was 7-0 behind. That was, that, was, that was for three in a row. Um, Who remembers Hendry destroying Mike Hallett? But the, the, the worst thing about that story is not only did I come back from 8-2 to beat Mike 9-8 and sort of devastate. I think he'd lost 9-0 the previous year to Steve. He was the, he'd been whitewashed by Steve Davis. Yeah. He comes up against Hendry. He's, uh, to be, imagine being 8-2 up and he'd not won many, many majors either. Uh, he'd won one or two tournaments. But, um, he but could yeah, have, he, let's be honest, he could have really done without you ruining he, his he, life. He, he could have done without it. But also he found out that his house was broken into that night as well. What? That's the worst part about that story. Were you behind that as well? Interesting. No, no, not at all. But I mean, I imagine you lost that family. But no, your house is being burned. I, mean, yeah. I shouldn't be laughing. Why am I laughing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty horrendous. But um, he but would yeah. have got into the car was, home thinking, well, that's the worst thing that's going to happen to me today, at least. But, um, but yeah, that, that was a, when a you, pretty memorable final. Yeah, memorable breaking as well. By the sound of it. So when? Did, so he only found that out when he when yeah. he come off after we, this we, we were in, actually back in the hotel. Um, having a few drinks after it, and uh, he got a call. Yeah, so his house been broken into. That's a that's a tough night. Yeah. A, yeah. Anyway, tough great night. tournament. Let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> start off. It can all be cheery from here on in, can it? After that story. What are your memories of, of playing it at Wembley? Did anyone go to to the original the Masters at Wembley? Yeah, yeah a couple. In, there. Incredible yeah. venue. As I say, two thousand seven hundred fifty people. Um, I suppose the the memorable um, matches there, obviously playing Jimmy White. Because you're playing Jimmy White, a Londoner, in front of pretty much 3,000 Londoners. Yeah. So it's pretty safe to say that I didn't have the majority of the support. When, um, when did you, Stephen? Well, ex exactly. <laughs> I remember one time, I, I think I beat him two or three times and he beat me a couple of times. But I remember one of the times he beat me, um, he's potting the final balls and I could hear this, and I, I, shall I do a Cockney accent? 
Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's pointing the last three balls, and all I hear, I'm in my chair, already miserable, as you can imagine. I mean, I was miserable when I was winning, but yes. when I was already miserable. <laughs> Slightly more miserable than usual. Taxi yeah. for Andre. <laughs> so that was, um, yeah. Yeah, the support for White was always quite a it thing. It was incredible. It was incredible. At Wembley must have been incredible, yeah. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I think here we've got pretty much close to 2,000 people. I think, I never thought they would ever replace that venue as a venue for the Masters. But now this, this Ali Pali is, the atmosphere is just phenomenal. Do you feel like people here are a bit more kind of uninhibited in yeah, the crowd? Yeah, I, I think definitely when you Well, play. I mean, some people obviously, yeah. yeah but. <laughs> but I mean, this, this, this lady's obviously from north of the border. But I mean, when you play tournaments here in London, for some reason, it's, there's definitely more vociferous. There's definitely more, um, they get involved more. Um, so, yeah. Is it maybe because the Crucible is a theatre, so it has that slightly reverent atmosphere? Yeah, I, yeah, I, th I think so. I just, I just think there's something about this tournament down the years. It's just, it brings that, it's, it's just a completely di different atmosphere to any other tournament, um, and, and in a good way. And, and what, obviously, you know, World Snooker and everyone's done in terms of the, you know, the, the first snooker event I've ever been to, it's actually got posh seats, and you've actually got like a, a, a VIP where you can have food and drink. I mean, it's dangerous treating it. snooker fans like human beings, but uh, yeah, it's phenomenal. But it's incredible. So if we go back to your earliest memories, it was your winning streak was eighty-nine to ninety-three. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. But when was your first one then? Uh, I mean, your, for your first time you played in the Masters. That, well, that was eighty-nine. The first time I played, it, I won it. Won it. At the Thanks first for bringing time. it up. That's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Fine. So you, but, um, you, won, yeah. you won five on the bounce, yeah. having not played the Masters before. Yeah. It was. Um, I mean, it, it was very unusual for a Scotsman to have such success at Wembley. I would, I would, I would dare to say. Yeah. Um, Presumably, you didn't smash the goalposts up and carry them off. Like, didn't I, I just, I just loved the tournament. I loved the fact that it was the top sixteen players in the world. So yeah. you're, you're pitting your wits against the other best players. Um, it was in an incredible venue, um, and yeah, it was just. It, I just felt so at home at, at, at the Wembley Conference Centre. How does it? There's not many people you could ask this question to. How does it feel winning it compared with the world's? Different. The World Championship is, is the sort of, um, when you start playing snooker, it's, it's the ambition to be world champion. It's, it's the sort of the pinnacle um, of being a snooker player. Um, the Masters, I always sort of had, for the season ahead, goals. It would be the World Championship would be first and the Masters would be second. The World Championship because it is at the Crucible, it's the World Championship. The Masters because it's against the other 15 best players in the world and you want to, want to prove that you're better than them. Yeah. It is a special place. Obviously, we've seen, I mean, some of you might have seen the darts last week. That, that shows you a different side to Ali Pali. Great, great clear up they've done anyway, isn't it? That must have taken a bit of a. Christ knows how this place is even like, <laughs> fit for people to set foot in now after the. the, the uh, yeah, it'll be a slightly different atmosphere from mm. that, I would imagine. Uh, so, Stephen, obviously, this, this year's Masters is upon us. Mm. Um, we've heard Rob Walker say every time Davis is asked, he just says, no idea who'll win. Mm. They're also good. Um, but that is not, that's not punditry. So uh, yeah. anyway, anyone here could say, no idea. Yeah. So um, let's put you on the spot a bit. Have you got a winner in mind? I think, um, first of all, I think it's very difficult to, to, to make a case for Ronnie not winning it. Um, but because I think the way he played in the UK, what, what's, what's different about Ronnie now, I think, is he used to be all about the performance. He used to say, I'd rather play well than win. Yeah. Now it's the opposite. He'd rather win. It's all about the, the result, and that makes him such a dangerous opponent. Yeah. Um, the last thing you want is just sort of trying to win. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think. I think if he. If, if he. It's bad enough when he's just pissing about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, he's, 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 he's probably he'll be favourite, and, and for good reason. Um, Judd Trump has obviously had uh, an amazing season, but I think Trump is the holder, isn't he? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Beat Mark in the final Williams last year. Last year. Yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, I mean, I understand what Steve's saying, but it's, you know, uh, it's nonsense, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like everything yeah. else that Typical comes out Steve of Steve to take the easy way out. Really? Typical is. Steve. They make I, no effort whatsoever. No, too busy with his music. I, I, I think, I think there's, the winner will come from maybe three or four players. So are there some players that you reckon yeah. aren't? It'd be very interesting to see how Neil Robertson plays. Um, well, yeah, Robertson is, remains a talking point, obviously. Is he in it? Yeah, it must be in it, Neil Robertson. It wouldn't be interesting if yeah, he's he not in it. it. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
It would yeah. be amazing if he won it, but he's not yeah, in yeah. it. Yeah, I, no, no, because he's dropped so far down the rankings. You have to that ask, he's, he's, there's a lot of tournaments he's not in. He's it's not, amazing. He's you have in. to stop and ask yourself whether Robertson is still... <laughs> yeah. But he is. He's but here. He's, he's been in Australia for the, for the last four or five weeks. Even after having had that break, it must be hard for him, though, because you're playing at this level has, of has competition. He, yeah, has he been practising? That's the thing. Or has he just been surfing and feeding, <laughs> and feeding kangaroos? To be fair, he hit the food into the kangaroo's mouth from somewhere <laughs> away. I... <laughs> But um, yeah, so but I, I, I wouldn't put Neil as one of my favourites to win. No, I mean it's interesting actually. We've, we've talked about Robertson quite a bit on this uh, podcast because of the, the sort of strange mm. year that he's had. Was there ever a time when you felt you were like him, playing too much, just burnt out? Did, did you ever wish that you could take a break? Or it's no, a bit no, different no. for him, of course, because part no. of his thing was he needs to go back to Australia. And... Yeah, yeah, no, no, not not really. But I mean. There's a lot more snooker these days, obviously, than there was in the 90s, a lot more tournaments. Yeah. Um, and and how, how can I even begin to know how it feels like to his family's the other side of the world um, and, he's, and he's living here? So, I mean, you have know, you ever, it's, it's, have you ever needed to feed a kangaroo? Or? Uh, no, not really. It's, it's not one of my life's ambitions. No, I have exactly. To say. It's, it's not up there. Just it's crack on without it. <laughs> so, you reckon they always say anyone can win this tournament, but you'd say. Yeah. Probably not all sixteen. I, 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 I say, yeah, three or four. Ronnie and Judd are in opposite halves of the draw, of course. Which would be an amazing final. So that would be a hell of a final. Amazing final. Mark Williams won um, in Macau over Christmas. Uh, quality field. Ronnie was in it. Wazowski, Trump, they're all there. Mark won it. Um, so he's he'll be full of confidence. I mean, speaking of people that have got form-winning tournaments, by the way, I don't know if you've ever heard the podcast, but a running theme of it, stroke joke, is that Hendry never plays anymore. Am and can't be asked, and he's more into <laughs> golf, and he can't win a game to save his life. But many of you will be aware that over the Christmas period, he won the seniors uh, tournament, which yeah. is... Um, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes. We've had our fun with Hendry being shit, but he's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great fun, great fun. We, we, well, you, we'll, have a, we'll have a moment where you can ask him questions, but... Um, so, and that sort of ruined this whole strand of the podcast. The whole joke was that you just couldn't win the game anymore, but you'd not only won a match, but... Uh, it was my inspiration for doing it. I thought, I cannot do this live podcast. I've got to come here as a winner. Um, so you know how much pleasure you get by this, this constant... I was gutted, yeah. <laughs> I, every day I put Stephen Hendry lost into the Twitter yeah. search bar. And it, it looked like real fun. So it, was, had, it was. It was a great event. Um, all, all the, obviously... Legends were there. Um, Jimmy again in the final, which was great. I mean, if you get um, Jimmy I, in the I, final, I, there's only yeah, one winner. I, I, I mean, it's, it's still a great buzz to play Jimmy in finals. He was, he was. I, I said at the time, he was my hero growing up uh, when I first started playing snooker. And um, until you, until you ruined his. And, uh, well, life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, obviously, we've had a huge history playing against each other at the Crucible and, and yeah. through through the nineties and stuff. So it's always cool to play him in a final, what? and even cooler to beat him. <laughs> Well, he's not a sentimental man, Stephen. Um, here's an interesting question, Stephen. Obviously, the, the Masters reflects who the, who the top 16 are. Mm. Um, and quite a few of the people are people like, like Williams that we've, or Higgins that, that have been the same names for years. If we're, if we're here in another five years, are there mm. players that you reckon we'd be seeing in the Masters then that we're only just seeing the best of now? Well, I mean, you talk about Williams, like the class of 92, Williams, yeah. uh, Higgins, O'Sullivan. I think they're all 48 now. Will yeah, they well, still be here at 53 in the Masters? It would be incredible. Um, well, I, would, I would doubt whether all three will still be in the Surely, in, in the surely not. Yeah. But then you look, at, you look down, I mean, obviously I watch a lot of snooker now, work on it, and, and I'm still struggling to see who's going to take over for them because they still play so well. Yeah. I mean, Williams, hasn't, Williams is getting better, if anything. Exactly, exactly. And I think all three of them don't practice the way they used to practice. They basically turn up, they maybe put some preparation before um, the big events, but they don't put in the five, six, seven hours a day that they used, they used to do. So maybe that's allowing them to, to sort of prolong their yeah. career. But, I mean, they're still playing a standard that is just, you know, I, I don't see, you know... It, people say who's the, the youngsters coming along that, that you think is going to take over from the old and, and, and I've not seen many you've got the likes of Stan Moody who looks a good prospect but still got to prove himself yeah um, who, who else is coming along go wait and see yeah well I'm asking you I but know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm asking you back it's the like, answer is not many it's like, <laughs> but yeah I mean it's, it's, it's well, will we be here in 
30 years time and an 80 year old Mark Williams is still bossing it please please God no please God no <laughs> I wouldn't be too surprised <laughs> turning up in his sports car he's no longer legally entitled <laughs> to drive uh, well we'll see obviously we'll see um, is, it, is there a sense that people are, players are keen to find form in this one as well to put down a marker for obviously we're not that far off from the crucible and everything I, I think when you get to the, the, the turn of the year um, you start to as, as, as far as I did, I started to look ahead. You know, the crucible was always in the distance. Mm. Um, you're sort of th- what, three, three, maybe four months away from from going there, and, and you know, you want to be obviously going there in your best form. But this 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 tournament in itself is is is, is so big, and I think um, you know, going back to Ronnie, I think these are the tournaments he really wants to win the majors, the triple crown events. Yeah. I think this is what he wants to win as many of these as possible before he, he, he finally, you know, hangs up his cue. Uh, we've reached a point where, and this may or may not be a good idea, I uh, <laughs> ask uh, audience members for their tips on who's going to win. Um, so anyone got a prediction? This involves me actually coming like, with this mic up to you. So uh, who would like to uh, make a case for who they think will win the Masters? Right at the back there, almost couldn't be worse for me. Um, fine, fine. Yes, sir. I don't know if you will, but I'd really like Lisowski to win. Like mm. he was really good in that Macau thing, but I just feel like it'd just be really cool if he won. <laughs> yeah, this conversation about whether Lisowski's going to win one must be getting quite tiresome for him now. Yeah, and I think he's like a bit of a crowd favourite when he gets going. Like touch mm. of the Jimmies and stuff about him, people like it. It's a bit more unpredictable. It's exciting. Yeah. Some of the recent ones have been a bit more boring, so I'd like it if he won. It. <laughs> well, I'd, no, no, I'd, no. I'd, I'd love Jack to win it too. I mean, he's, he's one of my favourite players to watch. He plays the game so beautifully. Um, he hits the ball. His technique. He hits the ball as well as anyone. And basically, I mean, he's, he's left-handed. Basically, he, he hits. He looks a mirror image of Ronnie when they're down on the table. The way the way the way they play. But there's obviously got to be, you know, it's getting it's getting harder. It's going to be harder and harder and harder for him to win because it's just going on so long. And everyone we're talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. Like I'm in the studio tomorrow when he plays Luca Brussel, and we'll be talking about it. You know, is this going to be the one? Um, you know, I thought Macau, maybe the final against Mark Williams, I thought that was going to be the one. I don't think it matters what he wins. It's just he needs to win something to get that feeling, get that belief. Um, because there's no doubt if he wins one tournament, he'll, he'll win many more. Um, it'd be amazing this week, but I, I, would, I, would, I would doubt it. I think he'll win tomorrow. I think he'll beat Luca, but um, whether he wins it is, is debatable. I feel like I should tell you that... Rob Walker said, after I've introduced you two, I'm off to film a Lukowski piece. So he may, for all we know, be in the building here. So we should just be careful about how we talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> Any snooker player could be prowling anywhere here. I will, I will, I will say one thing, because people, people say to me, um, what, why is Jack not winning? Is, is, it, is, he, is it his bottle? Is he bottling it? And it's not his bottle. Um, he's not... Throw, it's not like he's, you know you say oh he's bought he's choked there. It's not. It's just it's, he needs to find some way of focusing, concentrating. It seems to d- disappear, and that's not pressure. It's just a thing that that he think he's had, and it's and it, that, that's what he needs to look at. Uh, anyone else got either a forecast for the Masters winner or um, a, a wish for someone to win it, or yeah, just <laughs> any other business really. <laughs> Um, based on his uh, performance over the last season or so, uh, I really thought that Dingham Wee seems to be back to his form. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of disheart- disheartened when I saw that he drew Ronnie in the first round, which mm. obviously has been a hang-up for him in the past. Yeah. But if he could get through that first round match against Ronnie, I'd fancy him to then just go through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Ding still. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to have Jang Anda as a guest tonight, who's had an unbelievable oh, season. That was a secret. Um, <laughs> Forget you heard that. Forget, forget that. <laughs> We're going to have a Chinese player of some kind. Yes. Yeah. But it, well, it's, Ding is still, in my opinion, by far the best Chinese player there's ever been. Um, and yeah, the UK he showed signs of getting right back to his best, which is which is, is great for for Ding. Great for obviously snooker in China as well. Um, and you're right. If he beats Ronnie, what the confidence he would get for that would be would be incredible. But hand on out, can he beat Ronnie in a first round situation? He, he's beaten Ronnie many, many, many times. Um, 
Not, not recently though. That's that's the thing. I mean, he's beaten him in Sheffield. He's beaten him in the UK Championship six 0 I think last year. Mm. Um, I think it's, we all like we don't, don't really know what to expect with Ronnie. What, how is he going to play? But I, I go back to what I said before. Even when he's not playing well, he seems to want to find that victory somehow. So um, tough draw for Ding. Tough draw. And this crowd obviously is going to be all for Ronnie as yeah. well. He's got to cope with that. Not only playing Ronnie, but cope with the crowd. Uh, we'll take one more non-Ronnie prediction. Well, or you could just say Ronnie. <laughs> go on, Ronnie. There we go. You're the problem. <laughs> Back up we go. Would there be a surprise if Barry Hawkins came through and did it? Because whenever Barry Hawkins is, is discussed, everybody talks about mm. how he's, he's a solid player, he's, he's reliable, dependable, he's often under the radar. Yeah. It wouldn't be a surprise. Um, it's, it's amazing to think that every tournament Barry's not considered as one of the three or four favourites because he's got a great track record in, in, the, in the Triple Crown events. Finals of the World Championship, finals here. Um, and he's already won this season, so he's, he's got that confidence of having a victory under his belt and a decent draw in the first round. Pretty out of sorts, maybe rusty, maybe a bit cold, Neil Robertson. So, um, no, it wouldn't be a surprise, but um, he's not one of the players I, I, I think about at the start of these tournaments as, as a potential winner. Well, we'll find out. Um, after the break, of course, Stephen Fry, our special guest, is here. Um, Plus, one of the Masters contestants who could be absolutely anyone. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark Selby, and when I'm cooking chicken pizzas, I always listen to WST's official podcast, Snooker Club. You're listening to Snooker Club live from Alexandra Palace with me, Mark Watson. And me, Stephen Hendry. Still to come, national treasure Stephen Fry will be joining us, as will breakthrough player of the season so far, Jang Anda. Yeah. Uh, it's time to welcome our special guest now, a man who, well, needs no introduction, um, but he does, because if you're listening to this, you can't see who it is. Um, <laughs> clearly, he needs an introduction, it's a podcast. Uh, an actor, comedian, and author who came to prominence as one half, this is a huge spoiler, of the double act Fry and Laurie. Um, <laughs> so, so we're down to two people it could be now. Um, <laughs> Uh, left us in stitches with his performances in Blackadder and more recently, this does narrow it down to one, hosted QI for over a decade, also a very long time snooker fan and a man familiar to all of you, Stephen Fry! Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bless you. Thank you, Stephen. Hey, thank you very much. Oh my goodness. Uh, hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm very well, Mark. I'm excited to be here, to be honest. Uh, yes, uh, your snooker uh, fandom is genuine, isn't it? It, uh, it truly is. I mean, almost as long as I can remember. I mean, I, I, I remember watching documentaries about snooker before snooker was a television sport. Um, you'd see John Spencer, players like that, um, and uh, the, the Davises, the Davis brothers, Joe Davis and his and, brother. And Fred Davis. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, and, and there'd be little things of smoke-filled rooms in Leicester Square where, where the first championships were. Uh, no one else in the audience is old enough to remember any of that, I'm sure. But then slowly the news came out of Alex Higgins mm. and John Spencer and he played and Ray Reardon and he played. He became a story. There was a famous... Sunday Times magazine article about him and, yeah. and people began to be curious and I was yeah. always curious because I played the game because I don't know if anybody here agrees but there is a magnetic quality to a snooker table and, and when you're a child you see it, you desperately want, you just cannot wait to pick up a cue and, and push it through and, and make a ball move I mean it's a thrilling thing to do it's, it's a primal action and, and it's not natural it doesn't exist in nature and yet somehow it, it pulls on our brain yeah our cavemen forefathers weren't playing snooker well when you think about it we've had the darts here and the <laughs> darts is archery brought indoors for the for the winter because you can't you know it's too wet and cold yeah. to do a bow and arrow so you do a little version for the indoors and and snooker is bowls you know, Francis Drake's game brought indoors with a, a green lawn made of bays and, and it has to be pushed with sticks because you can't 
bowl it with your hands. We're going to be playing later with Stephen and Jang, and we might Ooh. wish that we'd never had that impulse. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it like seeing Alex Higgins for the first time? Because obviously he was completely different to the completely establishment. Completely extraordinary. And that was the story about him from yeah. the beginning, that he was this outsider from Northern Ireland. Mm. People compared him to George Best, of course, simply because he came from the same region. Um, and he always looked lonely and haunted with his sucked-in cheeks. Yeah. Um, but then you saw this bizarre style, this weird, yeah. you know, cue action with flying up in the air and the, yeah. the shoulder he put into yeah. it. And, and, and the people he were playing with their velvet bow ties, Perry right. Mons, and people like I was that. wondering how they got the cue past him because they were huge. Absolutely. They were right. giant bats on their neck. It was like... <laughs> they really were, weren't they? And, and, it was, and yeah, and frilly shirts there mm, as well. That's right. It, 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 it was, a, yeah, I mean, the phrase breath breath of fresh air was always used about that. Did you ever meet him? Um, no, I never did. Right. I never did. I'm, I'm sort of glad because yeah. you know, <laughs> he might like, have been probably. awfully rude to me or something. And, uh, it, and, it's and hard I to would... imagine two more different people than you and Alex Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, Steve Davis is... Uh, I mean, and, and that then became... Yeah, the rivalry. One yeah. of the stories about sport is always, you know, the classicist versus the romantic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and whether it's... Borg versus McEnroe or something, you know, you get this fantastic sense of a natural talent, explosive personality, dangerous, dark, difficult, against a, a kind of machine who's technically brilliant and who's focused. And, and, and you can support both. You don't, you know, it's not like yeah. one is terrible. You, you well, were I mean, both. If you, yeah, if you love See, snooker, you, you, yeah. you appreciate how both Absolutely. players play the game. And you were both, because you were mm. an attacking mm. player, but you were also immensely talented. Yeah, you know, gifted, and so that—that's what I guess made you workable. Well, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that's awful. <laughs> that one word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Obviously not true now. Clearly. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see on the table. Right? Um, so you've witnessed, without wanting to make you feel old, almost the the complete yeah. history of snooker as the the game that we know it. Absolutely, yes. I and how do you feel about the, the health of the game now in that context? It's terrific. What Stephen was saying about the class of 92 is interesting because you also hear people from inside snooker saying that there's an extraordinary richness of young people coming through. And again, talking about the darts, we, we looked at, uh, at Luke Littler and thought, you know, not since Ronnie O'Sullivan burst into snooker has there been a young talent like that. And there doesn't really seem to be yet no. someone who is making us really sit up and take notice. Um, it is worth talking about, actually. Mm, Lou Littler, mm. obviously, if you're not aware, got all the way to the, the World mm. Darts final as a 16-year-old. And we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about yeah. the fact that there's a lot of young talent, but there's... Is it more difficult in snooker for somebody to come from nowhere like that? Or, um, or could we see that happen, do you think? I, I think if, if you've got the talent, you're going to come through. And obviously, the, Luke Littler is, is obviously an out, outrageous talent. And if someone comes through that young, that talented at snooker, they're going to come through because they're that good. Mm. Um, I've, I've yet to see someone with that prodigious talent coming through in snooker. Um, I mean, I, I, was, I, I, I was 18, I think, when I won my first major tournament. I, I look younger than Luke Littler did. <laughs> well, he's to be, not to 16. Be fair, I mean, he's not 16. I'm not having it. Everyone looks younger than he. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen, the other Stephen, you'll remember when you remember witnessing Stephen Hendry's absolutely, uh, and of ascent. course we've all seen the documentaries where you're yeah. sulking with your oh, with your, I know, with I your know. manager. Well, that was my default look, such yeah. a sulk. Even when I won, <laughs> I was sulking. Absolutely. I was like, <laughs> absolutely. But no, I remember you coming on, and it was a remarkable. But then I remember on Pop Black, a sort of 10-year-old John Parrott, yeah. who looked exactly yeah. like John Parrott. John Parrott yeah. His hairline has not moved. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah and, and uh, I suppose the thing we saw with Luke Littler and, and, and the thing we, we recognise in great snooker players is not only the talent for the game, the, the, the way the ball is struck, mm. it's the mental yeah. power yeah. to concentrate what you said yeah. about Jack Mazowski and um, particularly with the Worlds, which mm. is, I mean, how you so keep long. that up. Yeah. So many matches, I can't remember how many, uh, how many frames you have to play in order yeah. to win the World Championship, but yeah. it's astonishing. The thing about Luke Lickler, I was going to say, I mean, apart from the talent he obviously has, 
how he enjoyed the pressure, how he enjoyed being up there. Because that's half the battle, not just having the talent. I've heard throughout my whole snooker career, people say, oh, you should see this guy plays 14, he makes 10 centuries a day. I say, oh, I look forward to seeing him. And you never see it because they can do it there, but they can't do it it. where it matters. I I used to play regularly in the late 80s and early 90s in a, a, a private members club in London called the Groucho Club. And there was a group of us who were very sort of of that age, I suppose. There was the artist Damien Hurst, who, as you probably know, is a very, very passionate snooker lover and a great personal close friend of Ronnie and, and a sort of an advisor to Ronnie. Um, and uh, Alex James from um, Blur. Blur was there. Keith Allen, the actor, and a few others. We would play almost Quiet every... night, then. It was awful. <laughs> afternoon, we would start at about two in the afternoon, go under four in the morning. It's and, lucky that place you know, is still standing based Alex, on everyone you've Alex so sleeping far, yeah. under the table. Um, but uh, uh, a thing that I will never forget, because it's so true, and this is all about me, but it's all about my failure as a, as a, as a sportsman of any kind, is that I was playing Damien, and I was like 30 up, and there um, and there were the colours, only the colours, maybe one red. And Damien picked up his cue and he looked at me and said, you do know you're going to lose, don't you? I said, what, what do you mean? He said, you just don't have the killer instinct. Really? And I do, and I'm going to beat you. But I said, well, don't say that. <laughs> and he did. Really? Which yeah, made, made his point for I him I don't know, yeah. and he snuggled uh, me, and I fell to pieces, absolutely fell to pieces. And, I mean, this is just in a club with no audience watching, but it was still that... It's that self-consciousness, isn't it? And you see it in Steve Davis, funnily enough, as a player. He was always self-conscious, wasn't he? Yeah. You always saw it when he was sitting, that he mm. knew people were watching him. Yeah. And you didn't. You went into your zone, yeah. and you, you were just there. Yeah. But... And I always felt for Steve for that, that how could he snap out of it? Obviously, he had a supreme career and didn't need yeah. sympathy. And now a DJ. And now a DJ. <laughs> Fascinating. You mentioned Blur. He opened for Blur at Wembley yes, Stadium. Yes, he did. He did. The most random thing I think I've ever heard. Extraordinary. <laughs> we never stopped talking about it. It's absolutely mad. <laughs> it is amazing. It's as if you heard that Coldplay had Tony Drago or something. <laughs> so, so, that would be less odd, really. In a way, it would be, yeah. <laughs> um, is there a type of person, do you think, Stephen, that, that has that mentality? Like, I'm, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to... Or is it something that you evolve uh, over time? I, I, it's, it's something you can't practice, obviously. You yeah. can't teach that. I mean, the thing is, and it's why it's what separates the best from the rest. You know, if, if everyone could do it under the pressure, then it would be, it'd be easy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you, and you can... My finals with, with Jimmy, for example, I used to always be able to tell that when he was under pressure. And I could almost project my confidence onto him kind of thing and 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 it's the whole psychology of the sport but talent sort of at that level at that stage of match goes goes out the window kind of yes and you can see it one of the glories of snooker is because the cameras are so close Mm. you can see the moment the 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 game face and the the being in the zone is removed from the player and Mm. suddenly they're not concentrating properly or or that strange mixture that you you have to concentrate but you also have to be, to some extent, relaxed. Right. If, you, if you concentrate without being relaxed, you're forced. If you're relaxed without concentrating, you're all over the place. Right. But when they come together, bzz, yeah. and you can see it in the faces, and you mm. go, oh, my God, he's lost it. Or, oh, my God, he's got it back. It's really fascinating, isn't it? There are very few other sports yeah. where you get that close into the personality mm. and the, the mood of the player. And, and where it goes on so long as well, those World Championship finals are real epics of psychology. Because, In fact, we've never talked about it directly, but those finals with Jimmy, especially the one where you came back from, well, one in particular where you came back from a long way back, yeah. do you remember thinking, uh, I'm, I'm in trouble here, or did you always continue to feel that I, I, there is something here that's going to... Yeah, you know, I mean, how much do you reflect on the situation in the match when you're in it? I mean, I was 14-8 down, and, and you think, yeah, you're, 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 you're not really thinking about winning, really, because you're just so far behind. Yeah. Jimmy needs four frames for victory. But something inside, you, the beauty of the World Championship, the long frame matches, is, you, is momentum plays a huge part. So and if I you can win just, one, you yeah, start... Yeah, I, I sort of clung to the thing where if I can win one, maybe two frames in a row... I can kind of not only get momentum on my own, but put doubt in his mind. Um, and it, it came, I, I think I won the last two or three frames of the session to finish 14-10. Um, and I kind of knew 
I could sense it. I, mean, I, yeah. I knew, but then I still needed to win the first frame of the evening session um, because if Jimmy won it, then he would have, he would have gone on. But yeah, momentum plays a, a huge part in the long matches. I've noticed in the I noticed in the UK and a few of the other um, matches that um, uh, uh, there's a new thing. A lot of the players now just look the other way mm. when, when their opponent is playing. Yeah. They almost make a point of pretending to look at another game yeah, going yeah, on yeah. at another table. And it's rather transparently pathetic. Yeah, it's, a, it's a thing about these multi-table venues. Yes. Um, as, as you can be distracted, but I agree. They're, they're, they're like, pretend... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's completely <laughs> it's false. So, yeah. It's like they're so disgusted by their own that they can't, you know... That's it. They pretend, oh, I don't really care what's going on. But really, they are absolutely fuming. Yeah. fuming and, and they're listening to the timing of every yeah, shot absolutely. on their own game. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you look into the eyes of your... I mean, did you sneak looks at your player or their yeah. body language? Yeah, you yeah. Would, you would kind of try and do it very sneakily um, with with Jimmy without well I mean, don't give away too much it's, it's gone now who cares it's, it's back in the 90s <laughs> but I would always I knew he was under pressure he started hitting the balls a bit harder and I thought okay it just timing would go first and then I think okay that's that's a good sign and he, he would maybe sweat a bit more he'd be constantly doing this and just little so signs every player tells. every player has had little as you say tells like in poker yeah. um, not everyone I mean Steve was you get nothing from Steve Nothing. I mean, at any stage. No. I mean, no, you wouldn't get a hello. I mean, it's like, but. Um, Did but, I read the other day, or I'm imagining it, just sort of talking with the really great old players, that Ray Reardon got a century the other unbelievable. day? Unbelievable. Incredible. How old is he? He's 90 something, I think. What? Incredible. Phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Incredible. That's maybe he is uh, a vampire. Maybe he is. He's just like, he's just like, uh, certainly one explanation, yeah. 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 <laughs> the reds are just blood but, to him. I mean, yeah, to me, to me, 100 break in 90, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. We'd all be happy with that, I think. Yeah, yeah. In a match or just on the... Yeah, I, well, I don't think he plays matches in a match. I don't know, but... I, mean, I don't think he's in the Masters, for example. Well, no, um, <laughs> I think it's... It, I mean, I'm glad to be alive in 90. I remember he makes century breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff. Remarkable, yeah. yeah and incredible. I suppose that, 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 again, that mentality must never... Well, he, he, was, he was a serious oh, yeah. um, competitor, Ray Reardon. He was, I mean, the, really sto- was. the stories, the other, sort of the Dennises and the, the Cliff Thorman tell about Ray. I mean, he was, his gamesmanship and everything was phenomenal. He disguised it with a sort of jokey, yes. but my goodness, yeah. you could read under it. Yeah. Ferocity. Phenomenal. What sort of gamesmanship? Um, he would sort of, he would try and maybe start get the get the crowd involved. Um, if he was a pressure, he'd maybe try and make someone laugh, which right. you know would would make take you know maybe the, his opponent might laugh, and then all of a sudden his concentration is broken. Um, just just little tiny things, uh, clever, very clever. The games were so long in those days as well. Oh it God, be... I think he played Alex Higgins in a final that was over five days, and Alex conceded in the third day or something. Went home. Still, two, <laughs> still, still two days to go, yeah. which yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. Test cricket. Phenomenal, length. phenomenal. The Masters is best of 21, isn't it? Uh, this week is best of 11, but first of 11 until uh, the, the final is best of 19. Uh, uh, best of 19. Best of 19, yeah. Best You've not been to the Masters oh. before, have you, Stephen? But you've been to the Crucible. I've been to the Crucible, certainly. Oh, and I, I went to the Masters here, at sorry. Wembley. Yeah. yeah. I used to, uh, when I was starting out in comedy, the BBC used to have a Christmas party every year, the Light Entertainment Christmas party. And uh, I remember going, and you'd be very excited because you'd see the two Ronnies or something, Ernie Wise or something, and, and it'd be really, really thrilling. But I remember that I think the second year I went, I saw John Virgo standing alone and being a snooker fan because I leapt up to him. And he was at the LE party, the light entertainment party, because of um, Big Break, you know, the, the, the Jim Davidson mm. thing that he used to do. And he very kindly invited me along to, to Wembley for, for a few years in a row. And I remember that atmosphere you were talking yeah. about when Jimmy came on. It was absolutely astonishing. Mm. Astonishing. And I can imagine it's pretty similar here with, mm. with Ronnie. There was, there was one time uh, at Wembley Conference Centre, I was playing Jimmy, and um, they had this uh, MC who's very well-spoken, Norman de Mesquite or something his name was, and it was very, it was very proper, the introductions, and, he introduced, and Jimmy's at the bottom and says, he's got 2,800 Londoners waiting to roar. I said, and Stephen's opponent from London, Jimmy Brown. <laughs> oh, isn't lucky? J- Jimmy, it was fuming, Jimmy. When it was, honestly, basically, it was fuming. <laughs> if that's your job, you've got to get the names I mean, of the, the players biggest, right. Biggest, really. biggest anticlimax. I thought so, it was like talking of these. So, what's your view on the um, the slow move towards the darts play on 
the, the nicknames, who, who right. thinks up the a new player comes on, what's his nickname going to be, yeah. uh, what's their play on music going to be, yeah. how much of a light show, you know, it, it's getting more and more towards that. I don't mind it. I mean, I think it's okay. I, I, yeah, I, I think... I think Tournaments like the World Championship should be left alone yeah, because yeah, that is the World Championship. Dignity. But I think there's yeah. there's there's room for all sorts. I mm. think because every sport is going is moving forward yeah. and changing. So yeah. snooker is no different. But the, the, I think things like the Triple Crown events are special yeah. and should be maybe above. Yeah, in the same way as the yeah. Test match, you, of course, you keep your whites yeah. on. Yeah, and it's only in the one days you wear the pajamas. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. What, what would your nickname be, Mark? Do you think on the back? What would? Well, some of the names are quite tenuous, aren't they? I remember from yeah. Bristol that you could do the pistol from Bristol or something, but uh, Trump has but already Mark got Mark Allen's the pistol. pistol. Yeah. I know, that's the thing. But he's, uh, he's a name I would want to bring up as a possible winner, by the way. Yes. Mark Allen. Yeah. I think I, when, when he's... Ooh, but he's, Allen's yeah. from Northern Ireland. He doesn't even deserve to be called... He doesn't even rhyme with Bristol. No. He's got, he's got no right to that. But and, he's and, also called Mark. And with I, all respect to the great Mark Selby, I don't think of him as a jester. No. I no. just don't. No. No. You know? Sorry. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a while since he, since he really yeah. cracked I mean, the crowd if you up. think of the Adams um, family, he might be the fester. For yeah. <laughs> you don't see him get to a 50 break and then suddenly <laughs> kill the crowd with a one-liner. No. Um, do, do you know the origin of... Is he known as a funny guy, Selby, or is it just is, that it rhymes with Leicester? Yeah, yeah, he is quite a funny guy. And I mean, I, I agree. When you watch him play, there's, there's not much jesting around. You're not falling like, about. No, 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 no. no, no. He seems to be doing quite, his best to make the game as turgid as it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, with all respect. He, yeah, with all respect. Yeah. Also, he, I mean, what, the slow <laughs> break builder from Leicester. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. He's, uh, but what a player, what a player. Did oh, my goodness, yes. Did you have a nickname, or was it, was the, did you play before the real... John McCrerick, who, remember, they were horse racing oh, guys. So he him, used yeah. to introduce some of the ITV tournaments back in the day. He did. And he gave me one called the Wonder Bairn, which, well, <laughs> like which that. never caught on, no, strangely enough. Yes. <laughs> the Wonder Bairn. The, the Wonder Bairn. Yeah, it's not, it's not catchy, it's not great, is it? Is it? Yeah. But the trouble is, you need someone to give you a nickname, don't you? You can't really yeah. give yourself one. There was a guy at my school called Barry, and he, he said, of course, everyone calls me Baz, but no one did. <laughs> and um, it just meant he wanted people to call him yeah. Baz. Yeah. You, can't, you well, can't make a nickname happen. You've got like to sort of... Barry, 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 I mean, Barry Hawkins, his nickname's The Hawk. Yeah. Yes. Just because of his name's Hawkins? That's, that's basically it. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, that was an easy reason. one, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Or Milkins is always going to be the milkman. Milkman. <laughs> <laughs> It would be very surprising. Dave Gilbert the farmer, because he has a farm, doesn't he, apparently? Well, right? yeah, but yeah, his nickname's the Angry Farmer. The Angry Farmer. The Angry yeah. Farmer, that's right. I've <laughs> never seen him angry once. No, <laughs> and we, we don't have proof he's got a farm. <laughs> <laughs> We're close to putting Stephen through the quiz, I think. <gasps> can, I, can I just say before, because you're, yes, talking, you about, we'll just, you're you, talking about Blackadder and everything with Stephen. The young ones. I mean, oh. Footlights Carl College. I mean, uh, the, the young ones were one Versus of my favourite. Scumbag, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that was it. Was a great. It was a great experience. That was fantastic. And weirdly, it did represent something that was going on in comedy. Right. That's to say, Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson and I were all at Cambridge for our sins, and, yeah. and we did represent a tradition of university comedy. Yeah. And Rick and Aid. Um, and Nigel represented a completely explosive new uh, kind of punk kind of. I outlook. thought the best one when he puts his dot marks. Absolutely, because he, because he and we had it coming to us. It was But you also, it seemed like you all got on. Oh yes, and in fact, that episode was my idea. Bizarre. Oh, really? We were in Manchester. Was it? Yeah, and Ben, I was doing a. Hugh and I and Emma were doing a series with Ben Elton for Granada, and and Rick and uh, the others were were, were up there to write with Ben, because Ben Elton co-wrote uh, The Young Ones with Lisa Mayer, who was Rick's girlfriend, and Rick. And um, they'd just done, had the first series, and the BBC said they wanted a second one. And Rick was going, you lot, you <laughs> I said, yes, well, but maybe you should play us at University Challenge. Ben went, oh, that's a brilliant idea, idea. we we'll do that. Yeah. So I kind of went, yes, I had an idea. Classic, so classic, <laughs> classic. <laughs> Stephen, it is now time for you to take on uh, the Snooker Club's, I think I can say, world-famous quiz. Um, <laughs> Stephen, please. 147 seconds on the clock, which is not very long, in fact, two and a half minutes. I, someone in the front row needs to take, keep charge of the time. Um, has anyone got a, a... Yes, do you have a stopwatch on your phone? This is a little bit less... You don't see this on the it's telly. Really. I can say Ken Bruce doesn't... This no. <laughs> 
university challenge doesn't end with something in the crowd going, that'll do. Um, so, Stephen, the format is you, you, you take a red each time, which is a question um, of course, about yeah. yourself. You know about the police doing that, don't you? <laughs> do, do not. Uh, I don't know. Oh, traffic see- police play snooker. Right. They, they're bored, they're sitting in a lay-by. They first have to stop a red car <laughs> and find something wrong with it. And then no. the next coloured car that comes along, they choose that. If it's black, they get eight points, obviously. And they, yeah, they stop, then they go back, and then the next red car. And, and the, the, they, yeah, it's traffic snooker. They, the, the, the traffic police play it. Sounds great being yeah. in the police. And I... it, it, brilliant for them, because it passes the time. Yeah. And I heard a policeman said to me, because I asked one once about this, and he said he'd heard about it. He said the advantage of it is that the majority of red cars are driven by young men and are more likely to have some kind of offence connected to them, yeah. so it actually worked out pretty well. And a lot of cars are black out there. And a lot of cars well, are black so. out there. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no grey ball in snooker, because that would be the most yeah. popular <laughs> colour. Once you've potted a red, which is a question on your own uh, career, then you can choose between green, uh, which is famous duos, or blue, general knowledge, or black, which is snooker itself. So it's up to you. Oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You'll know if you're a listener to the podcast, Hazel Irvin is the current leader... Uh, with 20 points, Mike Dean 15. There's also been some very poor ones. Um, Hendry's score was eight. So, um, <laughs> can you go in off? <laughs> <laughs> includes fouls, yes. Um, are, are you ready with the timer? Here we go. Uh, Stephen, so your first read. In which year did you first host the BAFTAs? Really good question. Uh, was it like 2001? Is correct. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, so you now choose between green, blue, I'll, or black. I'll take a blue to start with. A blue. Uh, general knowledge. What is the chemical symbol for gold? AU. No hesitation there. <laughs> uh, back to a red. A bit of fry and lorry was first broadcast in which year? Oh, hell. <laughs> um, 87? 89. Oh my god, there we are. Uh, we go on to another red. You'll get this, I think, unless you have no memory of the event. Uh, what university did you recently receive an honorary doctorate from? Oh, I've had so many. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, can, which was the can, most recent? Can you name a Scottish university? Oh, oh I've had one from Dundee. Yes, Dundee yeah. is what's on my card right, here. Yeah. But more recently, I had one from UEA and another from... I do apologise, I wasn't aware of the extent of your honorary doctorate. So sorry. Another colour, Stephen. OK, I'll go for black this time. Black, here we go. Who is the reigning Masters champion? Judd Trump. Yes, seven points. Uh, excluding the pilot and specials, how many series of QI did you host? 13. Is correct. Another red. Back onto the colours. Green, blue, blue or black? Blue this time. Uh, what song from Frozen sold 10 million copies worldwide oh, in 2014? There's some, one called something like Let Me Go. Almost. Or, uh, um, that's in the jaws of the pocket. Oh, uh, <laughs> wiping its feet. Yeah. Can you change one of those words? Let let it go. Let it go, yeah, I'll accept. Phew. Phew. Back onto the reds. Uh, what Guinness World Record do you hold, at least according to this? Most pompous t- <laughs> Is correct, yes, no. so that's the red. No. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you, what world's thickiest bogey? I'm that was from Young Ones. Um. Uh, <laughs> it was most quiz questions answered on TV in a minute, apparently. Oh, yes, oh, that's right. embarrassing. Imagine holding a yeah, Guinness World Record. I think my answer basically covers that. On what street is Queen's College in Cambridge located? Well, there are numbers. Silver Street, Queen Street. Silver Street, I'll accept yeah, yeah. my college as well, yeah. but we don't want to go into it. Um, again, colour, probably one. Blue. The time is up. We can take one more colour, I think. I mean, this is an odd note to end on. What is a female donkey called? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a Jenny. I think. Yes, a Jenny. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Very few uh, Achilles heels in Fry's knowledge, apart from his own career there. Um, 26, a break of 26. Which. uh, And Stephen. 
goes to the top of our oh, all-time leaderboard wow. with that score. Very honoured. Thank you very much. I'm Stephen Hendry. I'm Mark Watson. And this is Snooker Club, the official World Snooker Tour podcast. So, uh, it's now time to open up the discussion once again to our live audience. For, yes, for good or ill, I was going to say. Uh, but first, a couple of emails. Uh, thank you for being in touch at, as always, snookerclub at wst.tv. Uh, we can't read every email straight away, so if, if you don't hear your message, um, be patient. Uh, this email from Tom. Firstly, a big thank you for the podcast. It's absolutely tremendous. We, all, we always start with one of those. Not, not yet read one that said, I f***ing hate this podcast. I, um, but while you're here... A combination, isn't it? A combination of the pod and Stephen's fantastic YouTube channel have stirred the embers of an old passion. There you go. Uh, and then, this is quite a niche question, I think, but uh, worth asking. My question is, this is from Tom, during a match, do you share a toilet with your opponent? <laughs> it must be awkward standing next to each other at the urinals. <laughs> well, also, do any of the top 16 not wash their hands reliably? Um, <laughs> Well, we've seen in Ronnie's documentary, he doesn't wash his hands. We've heard all about Sullivan's personal hygiene. I will hygiene. tell you, the, the UK Championship, the Guild Hall, this was, it's not played at Guild in Hall Preston. anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Steve Davis, before matches, whether he was nervous or whatever, would always go to the toilet. And you didn't want to go in there after him. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There we go. And there was, a, there, and there was only one toilet, so it wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> Yes, fairly, slightly run-down venue, that. There we go. So I, I hope that's what you're after, Too much Tom. information there, really. There, yeah, but I just thought I'd share it. Borderline too much information, but it was sort of what Tom was asking. So, yes, so yeah. there you go. And that's why they don't use the Guild Hall anymore. <laughs> Toilet ruined forever by Steve Davis. Um, we often read out emails from people that have met Stephen or me, and by Stephen or me, I met, I mean, uh, Stephen. Um, no one's ever boasted that they've met me yet. I had the pleasure of meeting Stephen back in 2002 when he came to Spencer's Club in Stirling, well, that was your local, to present the trophies to all the Scottish juniors. Stephen was my idol growing up. To meet him was a dream come true. On the debate of greatest of all time, five Williams, four Davis, despite his toilet stuff. Um, I mean, this person didn't say that, obviously. Three Higgins, two O'Sullivan, one Hendry. Stephen came along, this person's up there with her in terms of fandom. <laughs> Stephen came along, he completely changed the game into a version that no one had ever seen before. To this day, the majority of players break, build and open the pack early because of Henry's influence. So there you are. Mm. How do you respond to the charge that you, you are the most influential snooker player of all time? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously very flattered. Um, um, yeah, I, th I think, I, think I, I, I did play a game that was very, very aggressive uh, compared to the other players around at the time. Um, but now all the players are it's just, they're just so aggressive in the, in the way they play. Do you think, um, you, you know, you famously have mastered the, you know, going off the blue mm. into the pink to, to, to split the pack. Do you think with the slower cloths four or five years before you, those shots would have worked as well? Um, it's a good question, actually. Um, the, the, the balls as well would have made a difference. Yeah. They, they might not have, have split open as, as, as the cloths are so super slick now. The balls just open quite, yeah. quite um, without much effort. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I just think what I didn't. People say I invented the shot. I didn't. Steve was playing that shot. Other players yeah. were playing it. But maybe I played it earlier in the frame than other players right. would. I think maybe that's the way I changed it. We now have a, a moment where audience members can ask questions of. Um, well, either, either of the Stevens. Uh, anyone got a question? We'll, uh, we'll go. Yes. Hi. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Um, that could be either Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hendry. Definitely. Um, seven times world champion. You dominated the sport. Is there a part of you, though, that would have liked to be in your prime today with the big money tournaments in China and the way the Triple Crowns are now? There's, there's obviously more tournaments now. Um, there, there's more, more tournaments ar around the world. I mean, the, the, it's incredible now if you're a snooker professional now that the, the, the choice that you've got to play. Um, but no, I think I came into the game at an incredible time. It was huge on, on TV. Um, late, sort of late 80s, early 90s, it was, it was everywhere. Um, snooker players were arguably some of the most famous sportsmen out there. It was so, so high profile. Um, and through the night, I think it was it was a it was a golden age for snooker. Um, so no, I wouldn't I wouldn't change my time 
to me. I mean, I'd, I'd what I do miss, I tell her, I don't, I don't miss practicing five, six hours a day. I don't miss um, a lot of the things, but I do miss the, the walking out. I mean, the players that get to walk out of this arena this week, the atmosphere, you never stop missing that. Uh, and now we've got your question over here. Have you seen Ronnie O'Sullivan's documentary? If so, what did you make of it? I, I have seen it. I was at the premiere. Um, uh, yeah, in, we discussed in, this in, on the previous episode. Uh, he was almost the only famous person then not to get a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. Um, some some of the stuff in it um, was a, was a revelation to me. I mean, the, the, how how gone he was in the dressing room um, prior to the to going out the final session was was of the final was it was incredible. Um, he was in bits basically. So. For him to turn that around and actually get the victory was 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 phenomenal, really. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed it. Really yeah. Enjoyed it, yeah. And, and the footage of his father and mm. himself as a as a as a boy, and it was very moving. Mm. It really was. I mean, because whatever I think about him, and I'm sure some players must hate him sometimes because of the way he sucks all the <laughs> energy into himself and the way the crowd are always behind him and the fact that he is a bit flaky sometimes and says he doesn't care when he obviously does. All, all those problems, when you look at his childhood, and mm. you, you, you forgive him everything. Really. Yeah. I read your review of his autobiography, in fact. Oh, yes. It's quite some book, isn't it? It really is, yeah. yeah. I think most people here will be... Well, if you haven't read it, yeah, O'Sullivan's story is well worth it. And the documentary, of course, is, is quite something, yeah. Uh, any more questions? Well, yeah, that's perfectly located for me, really. <laughs> I'd like to apologise to you for hating you for seven years. <laughs> I'm an um, Alex Higgins fan. Um, I've played Alex. Yeah. My mum's met Alex. Um, okay. I'm a Jimmy White fan. I've played Jimmy. Um, that's my sort of game. So when you were beating Steve Davis, I couldn't stand him. Right. And then I couldn't stand you. <laughs> it works out. Steve Davis is a great... DJ? Yeah. yeah. You're a nice guy. <laughs> Thank you. So I'd like to apologise. <laughs> not at all, not at all. It's, 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 it's incredible the amount of people actually that have, that have, that have, that have said that, that, that during, during the, the night, I'm sure Steve had the same, that during the 90s, like, they'll, you know, I wanted Jimmy to win so much and, and you, were the, you were sort of the enemy. It was the same with Alex. I mean, I, I tell a story, when I turned pro at 16, Alex Higgins used to always want to practice with me, come and practice, he'd, he'd, and I was like, my God, practice with Alex Higgins, incredible. But then I started to win, and then I became the enemy. Yeah. Um, it's like you were saying with the establishment with Steve. It was the same thing. He, did, he didn't want anything to do with me then. He hated me then. It was like, you know, but... Um, There's a hint of WWE, isn't there? You've got to have the yeah. heel in the wrestling. Um, Steve always tells a joke about that, you know, I was coming out of a nightclub, and these three or four guys were started setting about me and beat me up. He says, for about five minutes, then Alex comes around the corner and says, OK, boys, that's enough. <laughs> so I like, that's, 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 Steve tells that story, his exhibition. <laughs> Yes, your moment has come. <laughs> I read your book, and honestly, from a Scots girl, from a Scottish man, it was phenomenal. Thank it was just much. a down-to-earth story, and I, I was so proud to be a Scottish girl, to see a Scottish man do what he did. Thank you very and much. And he's done so much. Thank honestly. you. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, Stephen. Um, your cue, which you got broken, was broken on the flight. Yeah. Was it Hong Kong? Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Thailand. It's yeah. Thailand. What effect did that have on your career? I mean, quite a big effect. It shouldn't really be. I mean, you, you, you would think you should be skillful enough to be able to lose a cue and take another cue and, and, and just as well. But I, I, I won 70 tournaments with that cue and won five after, after um, obviously, all my world titles. I think because it was such a bad cue, I mean, it was a cheap. Yeah. It was like wasn't, 30, it, wasn't it warped? Yeah, it yeah. was. It was. It was. It was Ben. It was like I think my dad bought it. It was thirty quid. Um, whereas now you, you can upwards of you can spend five, six, seven thousand pound on cues. Um, there are rock guitarists like that, aren't there? Who's who's. First guitar is the one they stay yeah. with, and yeah. then it breaks, and they're, they're, they're never the same it just, again. It just, when I got accused after, it just felt different. And, and, and when that happens, it's, it's almost in a tour under pressure. And you, you go in a practice table and you say, oh, this is a century, century, then no problem. But then when you f face that first sort of pressure shot, all of a sudden you think, what is this, man? feel right. Um, and, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's more mental than physical. Have we even considered that Davis smashed it? 
<laughs> or Jimmy, or one of these people. <laughs> it's all a bit convenient. <laughs> yes. So we're in a beautiful room in Alexandra Palace today. As both a fan and a player, how much does the sense of venue, the city, the physical building you're in change how a tournament feels for you, for both of you, really, I guess? Well, well speaking for myself, I mean, I, I always... Venues were, were it's quite important, really. Um, I always felt that theatres, where we used to play a lot on in the 90s, we used to have um, assembly rooms in Derby, the Hexagon Theatre, Reading. Um, it was always theatres where if you went to a, a leisure centre, which was the, the seats would be put in, it was like, it just didn't seem to have that aura to me, um, the Crucible Theatre, obviously, here. It's just, it's just different. Um, so you need to get, have that inspiration, really, I think, to walk in the yeah. place. All, all actors and performers will talk about this theatre being a good comedy theatre, uh, but, you know, or a good straight drama theatre. There is something very special about places. They have real qualities, like people. Um, and certainly as a... Um, I don't know if Mark would agree, but in terms of theatres, um, rather pleasingly, it's the ones with a sort of little circle, which I call a smile, um, you know, which is where you see the audience in a... And, and you feel a little bit closer to them, rather than a more of a bowling alley or a square. And there you really tend to connect, and there's a much better atmosphere. So, so it's a very good question. Uh, it's time now to welcome our second guest of the evening. Not really clear which of these chairs he'll sit on. <laughs> do, um, do you want me to go? I can... <laughs> oh, yeah, go next to Steve. But... Yeah. OK, fine. That's taken that weight off my mind. Um, a man who has been in the form of his life this season, winner at the International Championship in Tianjin, leaving him third on the one-year list, only behind Judd and Ronnie O'Sullivan, uh, also making his Masters debut this year. Make some noise for Zhang Ander! How are you doing? Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we've got time for. <laughs> uh, how was your Christmas? Did you, have you been home or did you Yeah, I just back to China. Yeah, see my family. Yeah, great. And how are you feeling about the, uh, about the Masters? First, uh, very happy now it's top 16. And uh, very happy first time being here. Yeah, but you must have watched the Masters so many times on TV and thought, I want to play in that event. Yeah. I just remember yours. Tell Mark about the, your, the match you remember of mine in the Masters. Not, not, it's not the six victories, by the way. Yeah, I remember the, uh, he played uh, Mark William. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> He's so happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nice to hear about him losing sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, you've had an amazing season. Do you think you're doing anything differently, or why? You know, where has this form come from? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, fair yeah just every day, single day, just do same. Just uh, practice harder. Yeah, maybe just my time coming. Winning the international championship. How much losing, getting to the final, but losing to Judd Trump yeah. was that experience help to win the next tournament? Yes, it's very good experience. Mm. And uh, second time I play final, second being a final, I, when I score lead, mm -hmm. I still tell myself calm, relax, still uh, concentrate at the table. Yeah, so having played one final, you just feel more like, okay, yes. you know what to do here. But um, one, one of Jang uh, Ander's strengths is you, you don't show any emotion at any stage. I've, wa I've watched you, but in the UK Championship, that's close, the sort of thing Hendry enjoys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, when, when, when I see someone just having that level, it, with any bad shot, good shot, doesn't matter. Even you made one four seven in the final in Tianjin, you didn't show much emotion because I like you. <laughs> yeah. See, 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 I always say that. Being happy is overrated. Yeah. You know, showing this joy is... You've paved the way for a generation of emotionless <laughs> snooker players, Steve. Um, of course, you two, you two played in the Crucible in 2010. Yep. And uh, do you remember that game, John? Well, you must yes. do, Ander. My first season. And uh, I remember 9-7 up. I just lost 
So sad. Another dream ruined by Hendry. All through the match, though, um, I kept on leaving Ander like long shots, and he kept on dropping them in dead weight for the black. Whereas if, if you play it slowly, you're going to miss it. If you if, if, you're going to leave it on if you miss. And in the deciding frame, again, I left him this red, and I thought, oh no, he's going to drop this in again for the bat. He, he played it so close, and I just stayed over the pocket, and I managed to make a break yeah. to win. I think I just put that red. Yeah. I just moved my body. See again, it's missed. Yeah. <laughs> has has Ding really. been a big influence? Because you play and live in Sheffield, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Like a lot of other players from, from China. Yeah. And is he like a kind of mentor, a, a, a guide, an inspiration for you? Yes. He is? Yes. Yeah. You practice with him? Always think? Yeah. No. No, you don't practice no. with him. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't dream of it. D- different academy. Oh, it's a different academy, yeah, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Have, you, have you spent time in China, Stephen? I've been, yes, uh, I've, I've been to Beijing and to Shanghai, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, what, what are your predictions for the, for the Masters, and Who do you think are the, the big players? I know you're in the tournament, so it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> John? John, Hig- John Higgins. Ah. John Higgins is Shanghai's idol. Yeah, I've seen so. you say this. Higgins is your hero. I'm very, very lucky. So, if you have to play John Higgins, how do you, how do you stop the admiration? You have to be serious. No, I just want to be him. Oh, okay. that's good. <laughs> yeah. Sim- simple enough. Yeah. Simple enough. Fair Again, enough. a man after your heart, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. But, but now, like 10 years, my play professional is 10 years, but I never played with him. You've really? never met Higgins? Yeah. No. Uh, at the start of the season, if someone had said to you, you're going to be final of the English Open, yeah. win the International Championship, make a 1-4-7 in the final, you're in the Masters, you're guaranteed top 16 in the Crucible, yeah. you're in everything. Would, would you say they were crazy or would you, ex- you, you think you expect it or not? Very crazy. Very crazy, <laughs> very crazy. Incredible, incredible season, incredible yeah. season. You didn't begin the season thinking you'd be sitting next to Stephen Fry. <laughs> <laughs> No one does. Ladies and gentlemen, Yang Anda and all the best in for the. Uh, that's pretty much all from us here at Alexandra Palace. Thank you to all of the audience uh, who become immediate gold honorary members of Snooker Club. And thank you to those listening to the podcast too. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to Snooker Club wherever you get your podcasts. And you can head to WST's YouTube to watch the show back. One last time, please put your hands together for Stephen Fry. Gianna. Seven-time world champion Stephen Hendry. I've been Mark Watson, this was Snooker Club, live from Alexandra Palace. See you soon!